you know, there, there's magic and misery. Life is easy, you know, why, why do something difficult? Well, because life is easy. I think we runners seek that out and we realize that we're never more alive than when we're struggling and, and suffering. And I think any ultra marathoner can tell you that some of the most poignant moments of their life have been, you know, at an aid station in the middle of the night, you know, delirious, thinking I can't keep going and just kind of getting up out of that chair and, and stumbling along and somehow persisting. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. Thank you to Tracksmith for their support of For the Long Run podcast. Tracksmith is a Boston-based running apparel brand born from a desire to celebrate both the history and the evolving culture of running. I have been loving their Van Cortlandt long sleeve, which pairs well with the Alston half tights on a brisk fall day. Imagine a world where running injuries don't exist and every runner stays healthy. That's the world I want to live in, and that's exactly the world that Recover Athletics wants to make happen. Recover is the first prehab app for runners. It instantly generates custom prehab programs made up of strength, plyometric, and mobility exercises to help loosen tight muscles, get stronger, and run your best. Their team designed it with top physicians and marathoners like MEP. It's guaranteed to make you a stronger and more injury-proof runner. If you want to fix your aches and pains, get stronger and set PRs, Go to the App Store right now and download the Recover Athletics app today. Welcome back. I have Dean Carnassus joining me on the podcast today. Dean, thanks so much for uh, taking some time to chat. Thanks for having me run by. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we were doing this on a run, which would uh, be very appropriate for you, but uh, we'll have to link up in Marin at some point soon. Or I'll come to Boulder. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so for those who don't know, first question is, who is Dean? Uh, just some bum that um, you found uh, <laughs> on the internet and you're like, I'll have this guy on. But um, no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a runner, um, a lifelong runner, and also uh, an author. I've written a few books. And um, kind of an explorer. I've been on all seven continents uh, twice now. So kind of a, a global traveler. Your life story or your, your approach to life is like the ethos of this podcast. This podcast is aimed at exploring the why and understanding what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. And you run long, strong, and motivated emphasis on all of those, but particularly long and motivated, it seems. Um, has running always been a piece of, of, of Dean? Yeah, it's funny you say that because my earliest childhood recollections are from running home from kindergarten. I so recall, even to this day, you know, waiting, just waiting anxiously for the bell to ring and just running out of the, the classroom and, and running back to my house. And I loved to run when I was a kid. I ran all the way until I was a, a freshman in high school. And I ran competitively on our cross-country team. And, and we won the league championships. And, and then I thought, okay, that's about as far as I can ever take my running. And I, I stopped running at 15. I thought running, you know, 
I had better ways to, to waste my time than, you know, running all, all over the place. Uh, and then on my 30th birthday, I was in a bar in San Francisco uh, doing what a lot, of, a lot of people do on their 30th birthdays. I was in there drinking with my buddies. And at midnight, I told them I was leaving. And they said, you know, where are you going? It's your 30th birthday. Let's have another, another round of tequila to celebrate. And I said, no, I'm going to run 30 miles right now to celebrate instead. And they looked at me and they said, but you're not a runner. You're drunk. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I am, but I'm still going to do it. And I literally walked out of a bar at midnight on my 30th birthday, uh, drunk. And I didn't even own running gear, but I, I had on these these comfortable silk boxer shorts, like these silk underwear. So I, I peeled off my pants and <laughs> threw them down the alleyway and just started stumbling <laughs> off into the into the night, heading heading south, knowing that there was a city called Half Moon Bay that was 30 miles away. And I thought, just run there. And literally that night changed the course of my life. I'm not sure I've ever heard that story. That's that's incredible. Um, so did you have a plan to do this prior to that evening? Or it was just sort of a, a few beers and tequila in, you're going you're gonna to do it? I, you know, I, something had been stirring within me. You know, I, I went through college and then I went through graduate school and then, then I went through business school and I got an MBA. And I had a very comfortable, you know, job in San Francisco and I, and, and life was pretty easy. I mean, everything was kind of handed to me and I was, I think missing that struggle that running brings to us. I was missing that intensity and I wanted that back in my life. I just, I didn't like being a business guy and, and I think it just all kind of came to a head, um, that particular night. I, I'm sure the tequila <laughs> fueled it, but, um, yeah, that, that night I just thought I'm going to, you know, I kind of had a, a premonition, you know, I thought, am I going to, this, this woman that I was married and this, this woman that both my wife and I knew started hitting on me and she, you know, and she was attractive. And I had this premonition like, okay, is this, is this, is this where your, your life is going? Like, are you going to be, you know, 50 years old, bald and fat on your, you know, your fourth wife driving a, you know, a red sports car? Is that really what you want out of your life? And I kind of ran from that vision, I guess, to something else. One thing you said a few minutes ago about seeking anything but comfort resonated a bit. There was a piece published in Outside Magazine a few years ago at this point that looked at identifying why endurance athletes make such good employees. And the gist of the article and and much of the supporting conversation around it was we all not all, many of us lead very predictable lives and don't get to experience discomfort. And um, so we seek it and we seek this lack of control because everything else is so regimented and everything else is so routine. You wake up, you go to work, you deal with your kids or whatever your you know family situation is, you eat dinner and you go to bed and you do it all over again the next day. And to see an intentional change from that or striving for discomfort uh, is, uh, I mean, that's what we do in the, in the endurance world, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that, you know, that was a theme that I riffed on quite extensively in my first book, um, you know, that came out in 2005. Uh, there's a quote in there, you know, there, there's magic and misery. Life is easy. You know, why, why do something difficult? Um, well, because life is easy. <laughs> I think we runners seek that out and we realize that we're never more alive than when we're struggling and, and suffering. And I think any ultra marathoner can tell you 
that some of the most poignant moments of their life have been, you know, at an aid station in the middle of the night, you know, delirious, thinking I can't keep going and just kind of getting up out of that chair and, and stumbling along and somehow persisting. For sure. Let's go back to that 30th birthday. Do you remember the, the end of that run? <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of been immoralized because um, I, I wrote about it in my book. So I kind of recalled the story. But yeah, I, I remember um, I had like 15 bucks and I, I stuck this wad of cash in my, in my sock. And, you know, about 10 miles down the road, you know, I started sobering up and I thought, what, what the hell am I doing? This is ridiculous. And, and I was starving. <laughs> so I went up, I saw, I, I mean, there's nothing open, but I came upon a Taco Bell uh, that was open and I went to, <laughs> to go in and, and the doors were locked and I thought, what the heck? And it was, it was a drive-thru that was open all night. So I ordered in the uh, drive-thru lane <laughs> and I got like six tacos and I ate those out of the bag as I kept, you know, kind of stumbling down, uh, heading south. And yeah, the, you know, I remember the, um, the, the sunrise and as I was running, you know, the, all the commuters, the commuter traffic was uh, starting up and, you know, people were in their like suits heading off to the office. And, uh, there was a seven 11 in half moon Bay that had a payphone out in front. And, you know, I'm going to date myself a bit, but this was way before cell phones. So I, I went up to the cell phone and I called my wife. And she's, she's a dentist. So she had like patients that were scheduled. So she wasn't out at the bar that night. She left early and I woke her up and she said, well, you know, you've never done this before. You've never been out all night. Are you okay? And I said, I'm fine. I just need to ride home. And she said, oh, no questions asked. Where are you? And I said, well, I'm out in front of 7-Eleven. And she said, the 7-Eleven down on Geary Street. And I said, no, actually the 7-Eleven in Half Moon Bay. She's like, what? Half Moon Bay, how did you get there? And I said, well, I ran. She said, you ran from where? I said, I, I ran from the bar. And she said, just hold tight. You don't sound very stable. I'll be right there. And and that's how it ended. <laughs> what did you guys talk about in the in the car ride back? I, I was just, I was on a high. I mean, I was just, I, I was babbling about how incredible it was and how much it hurt and how, how I was chafing and, and this and that. And the next thing I knew, I, I was just asleep. She said, you just fell asleep. She <laughs> said, there was like drool coming down your chin and you're just, you fell asleep most of the ride home. That's wild. And so what changed mentally and physically for you after that night? I just, I, I loved it. I thought, you know, there, there is something to be said about really pushing yourself and, and challenging yourself. And so I started running, uh, you know, I started running regularly. I became kind of quote unquote, a runner, you know, I bought running shoes. I remember going to a running store and buying running shoes and I was running like five or six miles a day. And I thought it was pretty badass. You know, I'd run out to the Golden Gate Bridge. We lived in San Francisco and then there was a big steep hill I had to climb to, to get back to our apartment. And one day I was coming home from the, you know, from my run and these two guys just blew past me and I'm like, what? No, you know, no one passes me. What the heck? And they had backpack on as well. And I tried to pour on the gas to keep up with them and there was just no keeping up with them. And they disappeared over the top of the hill. And I thought they were like a different species. Like, who are these guys? And I wanted to know their story, but they were gone. Well, when I got to the top of the hill, they were up there doing burpees. <laughs> and I finally got out of them that they were, they were training for a 50-mile race. And 
I said, hold it, 50 miles? Like, you know, where, where, are the, where are the campgrounds or, you know, where are the hotels along the way? The guy's like, no, buddy. The gun goes off and, and the finish line is when you get there, you know, when you, when you run 50 miles. And, and I just thought it was impossible. And, and off they went. So I, I went to the library and I did some research and I found out where this 50 mile race was. It was outside of Sacramento. So I signed up and I thought, I'm going to try to run 50 miles. And I somehow lived. I mean, it, it, was, <laughs> it was so excruciating and it was, it was so brutal, but I somehow made it. And I remember sitting in the medic tent afterward, kind of, you know, wrapped in a, in a mylar blanket, just kind of delirious. And I saw those same two guys and they were high-fiving each other saying, wow, we qualified, we qualified. And I kind of said to them, uh, would you qualify for the insane asylum? And they're like, no, we qualified for the Western States 100 mile endurance run. And I thought, hold it. You say like tw- twice as far as this? And they're like, yeah, 100 miles. And they're like, and it starts at the base of a, of a ski resort. You run up to the top. He's like, you run through rivers. And I'm like, well, like where, do you, where do you stop at night? He's like, no, you put on a headlamp and you just run straight through the night. And I, I was just, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And as they were leaving, they looked at me and, and one guy said, hey, buddy, you qualified too. <laughs> and when he said that, I'm like, oh my God, I, I have to. Like, I will never live down that moment Never I will forget him saying that to me unless I try this race. So that was 1993, and I signed up for the Western States 100 and somehow finished. What was that finish line like? Sorry, sorry. what was that start line like? <laughs> oh, the, the energy at the start. Well, you know, th- this is back you know, in the early 90s, so ultra running was, was not nearly the sport it is now. It was more, way more uh, grungy and grassroots. And it was just, it was kind of animalistic at the starting line. I just remember people were grunting and howling and people were, you know, making the sign of the cross on their chest. And, and, and when that gun went off, they fire a rifle at the start of Western States. When that rifle went off and just the noise echoed uh, up the valley and just cracked through the air, it was, it was just electrifying. And so you start up the fire road and it's what? Four miles up to the top, five miles up to the top to above 8,000 feet. And what, what are you thinking up there? <laughs> so I'll never forget, we, we got to this escarpment, it's called at the very top at Granite Pass. And it, it, you're right, it's about five miles in. And you, you know the sun is rising over Lake Tahoe on one side. And all you can see for as far as the eye goes is more mountains. And I remember asking a guy like, where do we go from here? And he points to like the most distant mountain that I could see, that anyone could see. And he said, okay, when we get to that point, it's about 75 miles beyond that to the finish. And I'm like, oh, you're kidding. I mean, just seeing it all in front of you like that was so intimidating. And, you know, it, w- it was really a step into the unknown. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. You know, there just wasn't as much information wasn't as freely available back then. So I couldn't just go on the internet and kind of, you know, watch some interviews from people who have done this kind of thing. It was just all through fresh eyes. So what was the, what was that journey like? You know, the highs, the lows, um, the points where you just feel like there's no way I can pull this off. You know, the points of sheer elation when, you know, you, you're, you're feeling energetic you know, my flashlight going out. I mean, this is before rechargeable flashlights. So, you know, losing batteries and, and actually losing my eyesight, you know, getting some night blindness 
and then, you know, coming out off the trail uh, onto a high school track and finishing, it was, it was just, it was, it was, it, it was like a, a mushroom trip in a way. It was just all so <laughs> interesting and different and exciting. So that was in the 90s. Since then, you've done some pretty incredible things, including 350 miles in 80 hours and 44 minutes with no sleep. You've done a marathon in the South Pole. You've done a marathon in each of the 50 states in 50 consecutive days. That was 06. You've won Badwater. You've done all these like really incredible... Th- I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. I'm curious, what would you tell Dean of... 1995, for example. You know, I, I never really took ultra running seriously as, as far as racing goes. Um, you know, the sport has changed so, so dramatically. I mean, I looked at it as adventure. I mean, to me, ultra running was a, it was a grand uh, adventure. And I, I didn't care about, you know, how I placed in a race. In fact, there's only one race. You mentioned it, um, the Badwater Ultra Marathon. That was the only race where I said, okay, I'm going to train to win this race. Like my whole reason for, for doing this race is to be competitive and to win. And somehow I won. But other than that, I just kind of, you know, I, I was surfing as much as I was, as I was running. You know, I didn't even know what a training block was. So I, I think I would have taken it a little more seriously from a competitive standpoint. But it was just a, a different approach that I had. I mean, I always thought of running as, as an artistic expression. And I wasn't interested in winning. I was just interested in experimenting and, and doing different types of races in different areas across the globe. I love that. Uh, it's, it's basically how I've approached the sport in the last couple of years. I got my start in running, uh, running marathons and really enjoy racing marathons and running long ultras, um, but not racing. And like I've done rim to rim to rim. I did 50K in Tahoe as like a, a fat ass fundraiser. I think you actually helped promote that fundraiser back in. I did. I remember that. Yeah, it was really. Yeah, was really, yeah that was a great thing you did. Um, and I, so I don't know what it is, but like I really just enjoy that kind of stuff too. So, so hearing you say it is is fascinating. I was having a conversation with my coach yesterday, and he's like, "I don't think you need racing. Races are just to put structure on the calendar." Um, and like my focus is fun. I'm just enjoying the training and like the training allows for these long adventure days with friends. And I think it's really refreshing to hear that. Um, obviously I'm, I'm not a professional athlete, so like I don't need to race. Um, but I think there is some balance, even for those who are listening, who are professional athletes to like incorporate more of those adventure days. And we definitely saw it in 2020 and 2021 with the pursuit of FKTs and, and these big epic projects that, that people are focused on. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's, that's really healthy. You know, I mean, I, I love the thrill of competing still. I mean, there's just, you know, let, let's be honest, I'm, I'm not ending up on the podium anymore. I am in my age group, but the only people who care about, you know, who's winning your age group are people in your age group. So it's, I, I kind of don't have that, um, you know, that, that tension of thinking I'm going to, you know, compete at, at any sort of uh, level with the winners. But it's still thrilling to to run a race. I mean, I've run over 300 marathons, and you know, I mean, there's no way I'm going to run a sub 215 marathon. <laughs> there's just no possibility. And now, even running a sub three hour marathon is tough. Um, but I still love it. I like doing that. But I, I more so to your point, 
just like doing these these adventure runs that are not FKTs. They're just for the the adventure of, of doing something kind of cool on foot. And you know, I could tell you about so many things that you know you that I've never written about that people don't even know I've done. Uh, you know, that were really amazing. I mean, I'm here in California. There are um, the the California missions that were constructed back in the 1800s. And there were 21 of them that stretched from uh, here in Northern California all the way to San Diego. And the missionaries used the missions as kind of like outposts as they were walking up and down the coast so that they could stay at these missions as a place of refuge. And I thought, I wonder if someone could, you know, they're, they're a three-day hike between them or a one-day horseback ride. And I thought, I wonder if someone could run between all of these missions. So one time I ran uh, 700 miles just down the California coastline staying at these missions. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it was it was almost like, why aren't other people doing this? The, the, you know, the innkeepers, they don't see you know, many visitors and they were so welcoming and they put me up and made me dinner. It was fantastic. It sounds like what a lot of people do ahead of UTMB and just bring a credit card and and some shoes and and see the 105 mile uh, route by foot over three or four days. Yeah, no, I mean, I uh, I, I so relate to that because you know I, I've been doing that you know since since the early 90s. I mean, I you know there's so many times I've run you know like from San Francisco up to Napa Valley just with a, a backpack and you know a, a credit card and um, and a headlamp. And just, you know, stopping at convenience stores along the way and, you know, running all night uh, and not seeing anyone, not seeing any other runners. Thank you again to Tracksmith for their support of the podcast. I've been a fan of Tracksmith and their community first efforts ever since my early days of running in Boston. As my miles increase again ahead of some big goals this coming spring, I'm definitely doing it in comfort and style with their gear. I'm also proud to partner with Tracksmith because they're going to donate 5% of your order value to the Michael J. Fox Foundation for all orders, and you'll also get free shipping. The Michael J. Fox Foundation is dedicated to finding a cure and helping those living with Parkinson's. Both of my grandfathers have or had Parkinson's, and I'm grateful of Tracksmith's support for something so personal. Visit tracksmith.com slash for the long run to see some of my favorite pieces, and all orders that start from that page will contribute towards this donation. Recover Athletics is a supporter of not only this podcast, but also my own running. It was built in Boston by two lifelong training partners who got tired of aches and pains getting in the way of their training. In 90 seconds, their app will customize a program for your body and your training. I plugged in some of my more common aches and pains, and I got a custom-built program designed to strengthen the muscles and tendons that will help avoid these issues going forward. Your first custom pre-app program is free, and they have an unlimited free trial. You can get it on the App Store right now by searching Recover Athletics or click the link in the show notes. If you like it and want to upgrade, their premium premium subscription costs less than one trip to a PT. Give Recover a try today. Your legs will thank you. So one thing I find to be really awesome about what I get to do with this podcast is so this will be episode almost 200 and and I've gotten to speak with I don't know 150 professional athletes along the way professional elite and Olympic athletes and there are some commonalities and some of them are expected and some of them are not and I'd say that the people that are achieving conventional measures of success or objective measures of success are the ones who specifically try and have fun along the way 
Um, and so it's really cool to see like you've done all these epic things, but it's like fun. It's the driving factor for you. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the, the, at the end of, uh, last year when we could travel <laughs> overseas, I did a, uh, uh, a 10 day, 10 marathon adventure in Australia, you know, at the outback of Australia, which was incredible. And then right from there, I went to, to Greece and, and did 10, 10 day, 10 marathon, uh, adventure in Greece. And, you know, the, these are not races. Um, you know, I, I was with other runners in Australia. I was on my own in Greece and the, the places I saw, the country I traveled, you know, the people I interacted with was just, it's almost spiritual. You know, it's almost like a different, a different era of human existence when you're just, you know, on foot and the way people view you, you're not intimidating, you know, they're, they're curious about what you're doing. And, and, you know, the, the sights and, and the smells and everything in the runner experiences uh, is really enlivening. It's one thing to be motivated and feel engaged for, you know, your first marathon of 10 or 15. But where do you go mentally on the third, the fifth, the 10th? I've spoken a bit uh, with Mike Wardian about this, and I'm curious uh, your take as well. Well, it depends, you know, it depends on the actual, um, endeavor, like the, the endeavor in Greece. I mean, it was, it was tough because Greece is hilly and it was hot, but it was all in different historical, uh, sites. So a lot of it was just taking in the scenery and it was kind of engaging in that regard. I've run for 48 hours on a treadmill and, you know, that kind of thing is, is much more mental. (laughs) It's, you, you know, your mind is, um, it wanders. And to me, the challenge when you're doing something that's, you know, where you're, you're just trying to, you know, if you're, if you're doing like an FKT or something, you, you, I don't think you're taking in the scenery. You're trying to perform at your best at every, every minute that you're, you know, you're moving forward. So, you know, my mind in these difficult challenges is just in the here and now, like the, the present moment. I think that so much of our life we live, um, somewhere else, right? I mean, the human mind is so active. It's really hard to be present. And I mean, even now as we're, we're chatting, I mean, you know, your mind is, I'm sure, bouncing around with a, a thousand different questions. You know, listeners are probably somewhat engaged and then they're getting a tweet or something. So when I do these really protracted and uh, challenging physical endeavors, I try just to think about the present moment. And I think just to take my next footstep to the best of my ability. And just take your next footstep to the best of your ability. And that's all I really, I do. I try to get that granular where I just say, take your next step, take your next step. And, you know, one time I ran from uh, LA to New York and I remember that um, in the Midwest, I was in a, like a snow and sleet storm for, for four days and I, you couldn't see more than 10 feet in front of you. And it was just white, cold, rainy sleet. And that's what I ran in for 10 hours a day for four days. And, and it was so mental that I, you know, I, if I thought about when is the sun going to come out, if I thought about, you know, oh, I can't wait to sleep tonight, it was so demoralizing because it seems so far away. So I said, instead, just think about taking your next step, just take your next step. And you almost go into this like Zen-like state, but um, if you can put yourself there, it's, it's, it's almost like flow where you just all of a sudden you, you've finished you know, 10 hours of running and, um, and you're done. So the, the hardest physical and mental thing I've ever done was rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon. I did that in 2019. And when you're saying that 
put one foot in front of the other. Like these are the words that I said to myself in the last 10K out of South Kaibab. Like I couldn't do anything besides, you can't do anything besides put one foot in front of the other. And it's like a the epitome of like how to get through anything. Like you can't, you can't do everything all at once. You can't, you know, build a company. You can't build a family. You can't, you know, train for a marathon or an ultra, you know, in one like snap of the fingers. And that's fairly esoteric. But when you break it into like, I'm hiking or running or slogging 10K uphill, like you don't have any other options besides, you know, $15,000 helicopter ride to pull you out of there, which isn't really an option. Um, so it, getting back to what you were saying initially, it was, it's this like endurance sport and these challenges that we, that we set for ourselves. It's the most basic human experience, right? It's like one foot in front of the other. Repeat until you're done. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of people never put themselves in that situation, so they never experienced just what you said. I think people out of fear or out of, you know, the the desire for comfort never push themselves that far. And uh, I think that is one of the reasons um, runners are like kindred spirits, because you know, regardless of your, you know, your, your level of athleticism, if you're a runner and if you finished an ultra, you know, that that person is, knows how to suffer. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's no other way around it. Whether you're, you're the winner or you're the, the last person to cross the line, you know, you've suffered along the way. So you mentioned fear. Uh, I'm curious, uh, what are you, what are you afraid of? You know, I think to me that this might sound funny, but my biggest fear is, is growing irrelevant. Um, you know, I've, I've defined myself as a runner and I've somehow made a go of it for almost three decades, uh, which is, you know, somewhat unheard of. I've, I've never, thankfully, I've never had a, a running related injury and I'm still able to push really hard. But, you know, I, I, I kind of, I, I live a very um, interesting and charming life in a way in that, you know, I, I could, you know, if you were to come to my house and I was to take you to my garage, I could open up boxes where I have, you know, I've tens of thousands of, of, of letters from people and messages like, you know, how I've, I've influenced them and how I've inspired them. And, and that's really meaningful to me. And I guess I just don't want to, I don't want to grow old and useless in a way. And, and that is really my biggest fear. <laughs> I think that, that connect, it's, it's connection that you don't want to lose. Yeah, it's, it is actually, it's connection. It's just being forgotten kind of thing. I don't, maybe, maybe that's very Greek, you know, <laughs> But um, I, I don't want to fade away. Not yet, at least. <laughs> Maybe in 40 years. <laughs> um, so what, is, what does community mean to you? Uh, you know, I, I am very much an introvert. And I, I am very comfortable uh, on my own. I don't mind running off in the, in the hills, you know, or the mountains for, you know, four or five hours or four, four, four or five days just by myself. So I, I, I think that... Um, community to me is, is small, you know, introverts typically have fewer, deeper relationships with people. I, I have a couple friends. I can, I can count the number of friends I have on, a, on, a, on my hand. So those are my tightest relationships. But when you ask about community, um, you know, to me, the running community are my people. You know, when I go to a, a group like a fun run or if I do a book signing and a, and a 5K or something, just like, you know, a casual jog or if I go to an ultra, I'm amongst people that I enjoy and I admire. 
So, you know, with, with the pandemic and, you know, the, the kind of um, group runs that we used to do going away, I never thought I would miss it so much, but I really do. Yeah, I totally feel you on that. I am, um, I think as far as you can get from an introvert and I just like thrive on these, like I love racing because it means it's a race weekend, which means, you know, it's all the best people in one place. Like being in Tahoe in Palisades, Tahoe for Western States or Broken Arrow, like that's my, that's my like Mecca uh, I love that stuff, and it's been sad to not have that the last couple of years. Um, you mentioned the group runs. The last group run I did before the pandemic was in Santa Monica with Mike Wardian, who just like defines the running community and defines like community uh, and and passion. And it was like a really odd send off. In odd meaning, like couldn't have picked a uh, a better person for that. Or very few options for for someone who you know epitomized a send off like that, and and so I, I definitely miss I definitely miss events like that as well. Yeah, I mean, Mike and I are, are good friends, and um, we uh, I put on a race here in uh, November in the Bay Area. It was called the Golden Gate Trail Classic, and I had Mike come out, and we got to do a, a fun run just out to the Golden Gate Bridge uh, with about I don't know this group maybe twenty five thirty people. And both of us almost cried. We were just like, <laughs> that was the first time I think he'd maybe done a fun run like that since yeah. I didn't know you ran with him the last time we, in LA. But I think that was the first time for both of us in, in almost a year and a half or two years we hadn't we'd done anything right. like that. And it was just, it was really special. You know, I mean, it, honestly, when you do that kind of stuff all the time, you kind of, um, you take it for granted. Yeah. And and then I think both of us just looked at each other and said, wow, that was, we really love, we love these people. We love doing things like this. So you've alluded a bit to it, but I'm curious if you intentionally practice gratitude. Oh, absolutely. Uh, very much. I mean, I, I watch the sunset and the sunrise almost every day. I, I, I will never take what we have for granted. And um, especially as I'm getting older, <laughs> I'm learning to be content, you know, which is, is, it was a skill for me because I was always, you know, so anxious to, to be moving and just to be content, just being is, is really a, a challenge. What do you think, let's say you fast forward 10, 15 years, and what are you really proud of? You know, it, it, as, as much as I've done and um, as many people as I've met, I mean, you know, the, the simple pleasures of being a good, um, a good husband and, a, and a, mostly a good father to my kids. I think that, you know, no matter what you do in life, if you fail your kids, you, you kind of fail at everything. I will take your word for that. I hope to uh, experience that component of life at some point. Um, not the failure part, of course. <laughs> <Don't>. <laughs> you only get um, one chance to screw up your kids, so don't, don't do it. Uh, my dad would say you get plenty of chances, but... <laughs> um, so... On the flip side, um, let's talk about success. So one of the reflections, again, looking back on 150 to 200 episodes is people define success in so many interesting ways. Um, and I'm curious uh, how you define, what, what does success mean to you? I think um, success is living up to your potential. I think it's, it's almost a sin if you, if you don't. Uh, you know, not all of us are Einstein. 
but to fall short of your potential, I think is, is failure. And I think success is, is, you know, being the best that you can be. How do you personally ensure that you're doing that? Uh, I think by keeping a, a curious mind and, you know, never, never stop exploring. So be it my, my physicality or, you know, intellectually as well. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm studying, I'm working on a, a PhD in classics. Um, you know, I'm hundred percent Greek and, you know, I've studied ancient Greek culture quite extensively, but now, you know, I'm on a, on an eight year plan, <laughs> but, um, you know, a, a class or two every, every semester keeps me mentally engaged and it's, it's, it's as challenging as any ultra. But, um, I think, you know, when we stop moving forward, we, we kind of die. Yeah, I think, um, that, so that, that definitely resonates. And again, it's the, the observation I've had over all these episodes is that people who define success and define progress as something that they can control uh, or or subjectively are objectively often the most successful. So it's fascinating to see the qualitative and quantitative metrics sort of match up while not intending for one to affect the other. It's like, let's have fun. Let's be curious. Let's, you know, strive. And usually that leads to conventional success versus like, I want to run a sub three hour marathon or I want to run a hundred miles or I want to win X, Y, Z. And it's fascinating how that curiosity and like, how good can I be usually allows you to do that. Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, the other component, at least with me is that I, I don't view success as, as what I have, but what I've given. So, you know, to me, when I get an email from, you know, someone that says, wow, I read your book and uh, you know, you, you changed my life. Like I, I stopped smoking or I stopped drinking and I'm going to try to run a, a half marathon now and maybe a marathon one day. To me, that that is the most fulfilling thing I could ever have. I mean, that means more than, you can't put a price on that. Uh, so, you know, being able to inspire someone to, you know, to live a better life, uh, I think is, is a calling beyond anything that I could do individually. The last conversation I had with my grandfather was in 2019 and he was dying of Parkinson's or he was dying of complications around Parkinson's. But, um, in that last conversation, we talked about like, why are we here? And his 80 something year old summary of why he was here or why humans are here is to leave the world a better place than when you entered it. And I think if more people had a similar approach as he had or as you have, um, I think the, the world would be a much better place. Let's put it that way. It's, it's so funny you say that because my, I have a, a daughter, Alexandria, who is, she's a little bit of a sage herself. I mean, um, her motto since she was a teenager is uh, leave it better than you found it. And that's how she practices her life. That's basically it. the ethos she carries with her and anything she does is leave it better than you found it. And I think that what your grandfather said is very poignant. And I think that's a, a really courageous and, and uh, high-minded way to live your life. I definitely think so. I think that um, I, I'll just like, I'll always remember that conversation. And we talked about like, that's how I want to live my life. I want, if I could fast forward, you know, 50, 70, 80, whatever, that many years ahead. And I can look back and remember that conversation that we had and say, I did that. To me, that's 
that success at the highest level? Yeah, I think, you know, the, from a practical perspective, you know, how, how do you, how do you do, uh, how do you achieve that goal? And, you know, certainly there are big moments when you can look back and say, you know, did, did I, did I leave the world better than I found it? But there are those everyday moments, you know, where it's just a matter of like, okay, I'm not going to leave this, this gel wrapper on the side of the trail, or if I see it, I'm going to pick it up and put it in my pack. And I think that those, those little daily things we do are, they, they add up and they really create who you are. Uh, you know, this, this was, wow, 12 years ago now, you know, there was climate change to me has always been something I've been concerned about. And, uh, you know, I kept hearing, and this again was, we hear about it all the time now, but this, you know, I thought 12 years ago, we were hearing about it all the time. And I said, you know, am I, am I contributing? And if so, how? And I thought, well, you know, one of the main polluters, um, is, is cars. So I sold my car and I said, I'm not going to own a car. And I haven't owned a car in 12 years. It's it's gotten easier, you know, with, with Uber and (laughs) Lyft now, because, you know, if you're in a place where you just can't keep going, you, you know, you can Uber home, but, uh, I, I don't, I, I still stay true to that, that same thing that if I have to go somewhere, I, I do it all on foot. That's awesome. Um, another component of who you are is, is you're a writer. Um, talk to me about that process and, and you released another book recently, right? Yeah. Um, a runner's high and, uh, is the title of that one. And, you know, running is, um, 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. So, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more proud of my writing. Um, you know, I, I, three of my books have been New York Times bestsellers, but writing is like running. You know, you can, you, you can never have the, the perfect book. You can never have the perfect race. You can have a good race, but never perfect. So a, a Runner's High has received uh, critical acclaim from really bookish reviewers. So these are not, you know, just other runners saying, oh, that was a great book. These are like Kirkus Review. These are hardcore literary reviewers that have said, ah, this guy can write. And, and that makes me really proud. It's taken me, I think, five books to, to learn how to write. But I get, I don't know, three or four messages a week from people that say, wow, your book was, it wasn't what I expected at all. Um, in fact, before this interview, I got a message from a guy that said, you know, I, I started in on your book last night. I was going to read a, a chapter or two before bed. And he said, six hours later, I finished the book. And he said, and then I got up and went for a run. I just had to. <laughs> so I, I, people are surprised, I think, when they read my book because they're like, they, they don't expect much. I mean, uh, let's face it, the, the running book genre is, is not known <laughs> necessarily as the best writing, but um, you know, th- this people are like, "Wow, I, I can't believe it! That was really like well written," and, and so that makes me proud. What's What's your goal with with the writing? You know, my writing is it's it's literary enjoyment, literary pleasure for the reader. So my books are propulsive, uh, and in that, I mean that um, from the very first sentence, if not the very first word. I want it to be compelling and a page turner. So I think of that going into writing the book. Like, how are you going to keep the reader engaged? How are you going to do unexpected things? How are you going to keep it interesting and fresh and want them to keep going and come along with you on the journey? So, you know, one of the most common comments I hear about um, people reading my book is like, wow, I, just, I felt like I was in your shoes. Like I was right there when, you know, when you threw up on the trail side <laughs> or whatever. 
And there are there are literary tricks you learn as a writer to keep people engaged. You know, one is is concrete detail to talk about little unexpected things that you know we we notice, like a bug that landed on my sunglasses and you know it's smeared. You know, details like that um, where you know another runner uh, is kind of nodding their head, like, "Oh, I had that happen to me one time." And, and so uh, I've learned these tricks, you know, over over the course of writing six books. Very cool. So we've talked about we talked about gratitude. We've talked about success and curiosity. We've talked about just putting one foot in front of the other. I think a lot of people that are that are going to listen to this or are listening to this right now, hello, um, are probably already runners, and they're probably looking to do it for a while or to get better in some capacity or go longer, go faster, or maybe they just want to do it for the rest of their lives like like you do. So what's what's Dean's, you know, top trick or top not trick, but um what would you say to someone who who wants to emulate what you've done over the last 30 years in in terms of consistency? I think you need to um look at the world through the lens of being the best animal you can be. So Everything you do is in uh, service to being uh, an athlete, and that would be you know your training, your cross training, uh, your diet, um, your sleep, your sleep patterns, and your interpersonal relationships. I think that uh, to perform your best, you you need to have harmonious uh, interpersonal relationships. So optimizing all of these things, it's not just one thing that you do. It's, it's all of these things through that lens of being the best animal that you can be that I think gives you both um, performance and longevity. Totally agree. Love it. Well, Dean, uh, this has been a pleasure. Um, I hope we can share a run in Marin or Boulder or somewhere soon. Let's, let's um, meet halfway in between. You start running, I'll start running. <laughs> <laughs> you might get there before I do, but <laughs> if you let me bike, maybe maybe I'll have a chance. <laughs> awesome. Well, that sounds good. If uh, if for those who don't follow you yet, uh, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, someone told me you type in Dean uh, in Google. I'm like one of the first persons that comes up. So just just type in Dean. <laughs> My last name starts with a K, but yeah, yeah, I, I've got a website. I'm, you know, I'm on social media and all that kind of stuff. And uh, check out one of my books. Um, check out uh, A Runner's High if you want to uh, read something unexpected. Awesome. Dean, thanks so much. And uh, we'll definitely see you out there. Thanks for having me on. Of course. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo was created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. 